Does prayer matter? I'm beginning a sermon series uh, today on that, that we're going to be in in the winter and the spring. And really, if we can answer that it doesn't matter, it'll be the shortest sermon series in the history of sermon series. We will end it this morning. Almost all of you who were awake remember last month in San Bernardino, California, where uh, Islamic extremists slaughtered 14 innocent people. At least 14 died that day uh, in California. And a lot of, of course, that gets a lot of political attention, and politicians were addressing that. Some of them were saying good things, and you don't know if they were saying what they're supposed to say or they were sincere, but they were talking about prayer and, and God. And in the New York Daily News the next day, I think in response to some of the politicians, the front page article was, God is not fixing this. And the article went on to imply that prayer, imply in my opinion at least, that prayer is a meaningless platitude. A meaningless platitude. Well, if prayer's a meaningless platitude, we'll talk about something else next week. But I want to try to prove to you from the Bible that prayer really does matter. We're in James chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. If not, uh, the Scriptures will be on the screen. James chapter 5. And let's begin with this point. It can really matter. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm conditioning that. It doesn't mean it's going to. doesn't mean it will. Strange to say this, but it's so true. Prayer doesn't always matter. It, some people's prayer, when you talk about it hitting the ceiling, sometimes it just does hit the ceiling. But it can matter. And, and here's the conditions. There's a couple of conditions laid out in this James 5 passage. And, and here's the first thing. It matters if you are a righteous person. Now, I know righteous is a big church word. Think of righteous. You think of, my goodness. And what, what does that mean? It means, it means someone who's been made right with God. It means someone who's innocent before God and someone who is holy. Now listen, it doesn't say someone who's perfect. It says someone who has been made right with God. And we can say very simply, someone who knows God is trying to live for God. Eugene Peterson is the man who translated the Bible, the message, which it's a great Bible. You need to get a copy of it. It's a, a great Bible to use in your Bible study. And he says, this is the prayer of a person, a man who is right with God. It's a, the prayer of a person right with God is powerful and effective. In verse 16, we see this. It says, the prayer of a righteous man... The earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and produces wonderful results. We're not going to get into the confession of the sins and, and the healing today. That's another sermon all by itself. But that's certainly tied into to our prayer life. The earnest prayer of a righteous man. What does it mean to be righteous? I want to define that a little more specifically uh, in, in two fundamental ways. Number one, it's salvation. It's salvation. A righteous person, according to the New Testament, is a man or a woman or a young person who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Back in the 80s, a Southern Baptist leader created a great stir when he was asked, does God hear the prayers of a Jewish person? And he said pretty boldly, if that Jewish person doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, he doesn't hear their prayers. And whew, man, that, you know, of course, you can imagine the, the, uh, the energy even 20, 30 years ago with that. Here's the argument today you hear a lot of times. 
Do Muslims, do Jewish people, do Christians worship the same God? Do we worship the same God? Well, let me give you a better answer to that. And that's John 14, 6. And I will answer that question. This is Jesus, okay? I'm plagiarizing this. You got me? I'm stealing this from the Bible. Jesus said, why don't you read this with me? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? Let me explain that verse to you. If you're an Arab, if you're a practicing Muslim, if you're Jewish by birth, or you're practicing the Jewish religion, or if you're a Baptist, or a Catholic, or a Methodist, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't know personally God the Father. I can't get into it, are we worshiping the same God? But what the Bible says, you can't worship God unless you come to Him through Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And let me tell you, that makes a lot of people uptight. But I'm begging you this morning, get mad at Jesus. He said it. Amen? And he can handle the heat that you may want to give him. If you're taking notes, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Jewish disciples speaking to Jewish religious leaders of that day said, Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which one must be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. How does righteousness happen? How does your prayer life begin? It begins when you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ the Son. Okay? If I don't have that, I do not have a relationship with God. It doesn't matter if I'm a Baptist preacher. I do not have a relationship with God if I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? And that's where my prayer life begins. So it's easy to talk about Jews, Muslims, Christians who are not really Christians. I'll just make it real practical. I got baptized when I was a little kid, joined the church, but I wasn't a Christian. In 1980, I was a senior in high school. We were in a football game. It was a very important football game. We were behind 7-3 to with about 40 seconds left to go. We had the ball on like the three-yard line. All we had to do was score a touchdown, and we would win. It was fourth down. It may have been on the one- or two-yard line. I mean, we were, we, it, 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 we were very close to winning that football game. So we called, the coach called timeout. I'm a captain of the team, so I say, aha, why don't we pray for a touchdown? So we joined hands in the huddle, and I said, God, I know you're up there somewhere. We need a touchdown, big guy. Make it happen. Amen. And guess what happened? We snapped the ball. We got tackled for a loss, and we lost the ball game. But you know what? I'm going to be up. My prayer didn't carry any weight. I went out that night after the game. I wasn't interested in Jesus. I was interested in wild women and wild drink. God is not Santa Claus. And even Santa Claus judges on a naughty and nice list, doesn't he? So what I'm trying to say is the Bible says the pr- prayer can matter for a righteous person. Righteousness begins when you and I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, okay? No matter what your religion is, it begins there. Now, the second part of this, it's living right with and for God as a Christian. 
It's not just, I've, I, I'm a Christian, so I have a get-out-of-jail card free. It's, as a Christian, making a choice to live right with God and for God. You see, as a Christian, I can't live like the devil and expect God to hear my prayers and to have an effective prayer life. Here's a verse that will bother you, hopefully. Psalm 66, 18. It says, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That's tough, isn't it? And what that saying is, is that, and he's talking as a believer there, David is, is that you and I have to maintain a good, not perfect, good relationship with God, with Jesus, to have an effective prayer life. John 15, 7, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, but if you remain in me and my words in you, in other words, as a believer, you stay close to me, you stay connected to me. It's a lifetime commitment. You may ask me for anything you want, and it will be granted. That's awesome, isn't it? See, that's the second part of righteousness. I have a relationship with Christ. I'm not perfect, but I try to live for Christ, live rightly in that relationship for Christ and with Christ. Years ago, I had a, a person, a relative that I was working with, trying to help spiritually, and we, uh, you know, we'd known each other our whole lives, and they were wanting to have a baby, and they couldn't have a baby. And so we, we prayed about that, and then we were trying to get uh, adopted. And, you know, it's just, that's another message altogether, too, but adoption is so ridiculously hard in, in America. And they told me one time, they said, you know what, every night I go home and I pray for two hours that God will give me a baby. And that sounds awesome on the front end, but here's, here's what I knew because I know this person, knew this person very well, is that they, they never went to church. Uh, they, they didn't pray about anything else. They did not spend any time in their Bible, and their life was unethical and immoral. There's a problem there. God is not a genie that we just rub on and make a wish, and he delivers It says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Parents or grandparents, you think about this. If your kid is giving you a fit all day long and they are terrible and they are bad, and then they come to you at 6 o'clock on Saturday night and say, give me $50 and the keys to the car, I don't know about you, but I'm going to give them something. But that ain't going to be what I'm going to give them. Because they need to be right with me before they go for my billfo. Amen? Y'all, y'all have kids, you think about that. Right with me before they go for my bill. Or debit card or whatever. By then, who knows? You'll, however. But you know, you know what I'm trying to communicate. Righteousness. Why is God not hearing my prayers? Why is my prayer life ineffective? It starts with who you and I are. Here's the second part he says here. If you're sincere and serious in your prayer life. If you're sincere and serious. Verse 16 Verse 16, he says, the earnest prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human as we are, and when he prayed earnestly, here's something really neat. Remember the New Testament's written in Greek, and when it says he prayed earnestly, you could literally translate that, he prayed in prayer. I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you pray, but you ain't praying when you're praying, correct? I mean, you're, you're, you're... talking to something or somebody. Uh, if you're like me, praying in prayer takes focus, doesn't it? I mean, it's hard. We play at prayer <laughs> a lot of times, but we don't pray in prayer. Have you ever thought about that? 
the earnest prayer of a righteous man, when he prayed earnestly, that word earnest means actively and energetically. That when we come to God in prayer, folks, it's not a, this isn't a game. It's number one, it should be a way of life. We're coming from a righteousness, not a perfectness, but a righteousness. And that when we pray, whether you're a baby Christian and you're just praying 10 minutes a day or you're an old pro and you're praying an hour and a half, when you're praying, you're praying. Sometimes the most sincere prayers happen from little kids. Would you agree with me on that? I've told this before, I'm going to tell you again. My granddaughter, who lives in Texas, if you were at the candlelight, she was the one standing here. I had a midget here and another one here. Um, but Nicole, when Nicole was little, she was having a real hard time sleeping in her home bed. And her mama, uh, whose fuse is a little short anyway, was getting tired of it. And so she finally had a long talk with her. They, you know, they searched the bed, under the bed, over the bed. In the, there was, as far as they could tell, no monsters, no tracks of monsters, you know, no fire breathing marks on the wall or anything. Nicole still got up. She came in there and said, Mama, I, 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 I'm, I'm scared to death. Julie said, listen, you go back to your bedroom. When you get scared, you just say, Jesus, help me. You just get on your knees and you pray and you say, Jesus, help me. Nicole was crying and she went back into the bedroom. A few minutes later, Julie heard talking in the room, and it kind of scared her at first. You know, what is that, a burglar? What, what's going on? So she creeped back there, and she peeked in. Nicole has got her face in the bed, her little hand raised in the, in, in the air, and she's crying, and she's saying, help me, Jesus. Please help me, Jesus. You know what? That was sincere, wasn't it? And that God heard that prayer. Listen, we don't play at prayer. We pray when we pray, okay? That's what he's telling. This is a cool thing. James, who God used to write this book, the book of James, was Jesus' half-brother. His nickname was Old Camel Knees. Uh, Old Camel Knees because he prayed so... And I've never... I mean, I've seen a camel a couple of times. I've never looked at their knees. But apparently, they have really ugly-looking, scuffy knees. And his knees were so calloused from getting down on his knees and praying that they nicknamed him Camel Knees. This was a righteous guy who was sincere about prayer. So let me tell you, here's the great news. When we meet these two criteria... Prayer matters tremendously. Listen, this is so important for your life. This very week, you may be in the ICU unit with someone you love uh, fixing to die. This week, you may get some message that's going to be terrible. And you need to be able to pray. You need for prayer to matter. And I want to tell you, when you meet these two criteria, prayer matters tremendously. Let's look again in verse 16. He says, the prayer of a righteous man has great power. It has great energy. And wonderful results. It has powerful, large, exceedingly strong results. Verse 17 and 18. Elijah was a human as we are. Yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. You do not want Elijah mad at you. Amen. Lord, may his hair fall out. Somebody had been praying that for me. And Listen, then, verse 18, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crop. Elijah was one of the greatest of the prophets. He was a forerunner of Jesus. He was a powerful man. This story is told in 1 Kings 18 and 19. Read it when you get home. 1 Kings 18 and 19. Times were terrible. The king was evil. They needed something to wake him up. Elijah prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. He prayed again and it rained. But here's the problem. I mean, isn't Elijah 
a super prophet? I mean, like super saint? I mean, we're just people in Louisiana. See, here's the most awesome thing of this passage. Let's look back at verse 17 again. Elijah was a human just as we are. See, here's the whole point God's trying to make to you and me when he says Elijah was a human just like you and me. He he was trying to say this power in prayer is available to you. You go, well, I'm just a youth. I'm just in college. I'm just a young adult. Or I'm old. It doesn't matter. Elijah was a guy who struggled with depression, probably anxiety. He's a guy that was suicidal. Listen, one of his prayers literally was, God, kill me. Amen. He's a guy who wanted to quit. He was a guy who had a little bit of an ego problem. One time he actually told God, God, there's nobody in the country that loves you but me. That's a little narcissistic. Wouldn't you agree? Man, but listen, not perfect, but righteous. And what God's saying to you and me, you need to quit making excuses. God's arm is no weaker today than it was then. God's bicep is not any smaller today than it was then. And the same God that heard this human Elijah and moved when he prayed is the same God available to us today. Is that not awesome? That is great. That is so great. I want to tell you some stories about answered prayer. 1998. I had a church member who was in her 80s, and she was just about ready to go see Jesus. And I don't mean figuratively. And I went to the hospital in Abilene to see her, and she was in ICU. And they said, well, she's got about a 5 or 10% chance of living. Well, I'm doing the math in my head, 80 years old, 82 years old, 5 to 10% chance of living, I'll be doing a funeral in the next week. I had to go out of town. Two days later, my chairman of the deacons went over there. There's a guy named Delbert. He's a wonderful guy. Delbert goes into the ICU unit. Her family's in there. Doctor said she's got a 5% chance of living. She's going to die. The family said, Delbert, will you pray for a miracle? Will you pray for a miracle? He said, I will. They joined hands. They prayed. They said, God, you can do anything. Maybe it's your will. It's her, it's her time to go on. She was ready to go spiritually. But God, we want to ask you for a miracle. We want to ask you to heal this lady. Three weeks later, she walked in church on a Sunday morning. That's a miracle. That's an answer to prayer. There was a pastor in China for many years. His last name was Mong. He was arrested in the late 50s. He spent nine years in prison. If you're not real familiar, Christianity and China are not exactly like Rustonites and Bluebell. I mean, they don't necessarily mix good. And so he, he spent time in prison. When he got out of prison, it was 1983. And he went to go pastor a little church some American missionaries had helped start it. There was 30 people. Almost all of them were old. And so they assumed that he would pastor and love on these people and do their funerals. The missionaries had to leave the country. But in the late, 2004 or 5, they were able to make contact with Pastor Mung again. 
They ask him, how is your church? Assuming that there is no church. They said, Pastor, have you baptized? You see many people saved and baptized in recent years? Or how many since 1983 in the last 32, 33 years have you seen saved? He said, well, let me look at my records. They thought, well, this will take, this, you know, this won't be long. <laughs> he came back and he said, oh, we've had 115,000 people saved and baptized in the last 30 years. You've had what? They thought, you know, they meant 15 and he just slipped. He said 115,000. By the way, Christianity, and at least where he lived in China, it's not illegal, but they monitor everything you do. It's illegal to evangelize. In other words, you can have a Bible study, but don't convert anybody. Nobody under 18 gets indoctrinated or evangelized. In that culture, they baptized over 100,000 people in 30 years, and they said, how in the world did you do it? And he said, well, we just try to do what the Bible says, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray. Isn't that exciting? That is unbelievable. May of 2013, there was a, a sailor named Harrison. He was on a tugboat. Tugboat was, was pulling boats off of the coast of Nigeria. It's four in the morning. He's the cook. He's asleep. And he noticed something's terribly wrong. It was startled. He wakes up. And he, he's been a sailor for many years. He can tell that the ship is sinking. He tries his hard as he can to get to the top and get out he can't so he gets into a little airtight component little room and he's got about a four foot square where he can actually breathe in this freezing water there there's his rescue picture by the way that's where they found him he feels the ship hit the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean and he's been at this long enough to know if you're trapped in this little air pocket and your ship has hit the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, you will be seeing Jesus in the near future, probably. He knew the only thing he could do as a devout Christian was pray. That's the only thing he had available to him was prayer. So he began to pray. He said, God, you know, this may be my time, but if it's not, God, I'm asking for a miracle. I'm asking for you to rescue me from this. When his wife got word, they didn't tell him that he was dead, but they said, it doesn't look good at all. She began to pray. She got her church to begin to pray. 24 hours goes by. He's in that cold water, nothing to drink, nothing to eat, and that little hole, completely dark too, by the way. 48 hours, two days go by, nothing. 72 hours later, he begins to hear something on the outside of the ship, and he knows that's probably divers coming down to get bodies. But they're banging to see if anybody will bang back, so he's banging as much as he can. A few minutes later, a hand comes through into that air pocket, and he grabs that hand. The sailor, the diver said he almost gave him a heart attack. The diver said, I was reaching for dead people, and a hand grabbed me. (laughs) And they pulled Harrison out. And when he got back to land, they said, what happened? He said, I can tell you what happened. We prayed and God did a miracle. Here's a quote for the year. Jerry Falwell was asked one time, what can prayer do? He said this, prayer can do anything God can do and all God can do is everything. Did you get that? What can prayer do? Prayer can do anything God can do and all God can do is what? Say it with me. Everything. Is that not great? Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher in the 1800s. He said this about prayer. He said, prayer is the person on earth grabbing the rope and pulling the bell in heaven. The bell that rings in the ears of God. He said, the sad thing is many church people scarcely go to the bell and ring it. Some occasionally when they're in a bind. 
But he said the people that change their families, their life, and their world are the ones that grab that bell and the rest of their life pull on it continuously, pulling on that bell, ringing it in the ears of God. E.M. Bounds was a great preacher and writer on prayer in the 1800s. Bounds says this, and this is so applicable today. He goes, we're, we're looking for better methods and methodology. I would say better technology and nothing wrong with that. But he said, ultimately, God's looking for better men and better women. And not only better men and women, but better men and women who will pray and will pray and will pray. I want to challenge you. Will you be a person of prayer? Get this in your conscious mind and let it seek to your heart. What can prayer do? Prayer can do anything that God can do. And God can do everything. Let's pray. If you're a Christian, in a moment, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to make some commitments. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Or you're unsure if you are. And you're ready today, maybe you're watching by the internet, or you're going to watch this later in the week, or you're here, and you're ready to give your life to Christ. Would you pray with me where you are? Would you pray with me if you're ready? And just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand in just a second. And I want to challenge you to respond to what God said to you. Maybe your response this morning, you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you just prayed to do that. When we stand, I want to encourage you to do something that's hard, but that will change your eternity. Come and talk to one of these ministers. Give your life to Christ today. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd like to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. One way you can do it, you can do it after church, or you can come this morning when we stand. You can come and join us today. We'd love for you to do that. Christian, maybe where you're standing or maybe at the altar, you need to make two decisions today. One is to put your life in a righteous place with God. Be who you need to be with Jesus. And commit to be a man or woman of prayer the rest of your life. Let's stand as God leads you.